Volume One, Chapter One of Bungay Castle by Elizabeth Bonhote. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Patty Cunningham. During the bloody period of the Baron's Wars, when civil discord threw her firebrands around to lay waste and make desolate the fertile plains and fruitful fields of this long-envied country, when the widow mourned the husband torn from her embraces and the orphan wandered friendless and unprotected, when brother waged war against brother, and the parent raised his arm to destroy the son he had reared and cherished, when every castle was kept in a state of the most guarded defence, lest it should be wrested from its owner by the ambition and enmity of his neighbour, then it was that Bungay Castle reared its proud towers and battlements aloft, while its massy walls stood in gloomy and majestic grandeur, as if they could bid defiance to every design formed against them by man, and to the more certain influence of all conquering time. So perfectly stupendous and strong was this once spacious edifice, it was not only an object of desire to the proud and aspiring barons, but, it has been said, even to contending kings. The noble and loyal lord of this castle, being called upon to fill some important office in the service of the state, appointed Sir Philip de Morney to be governor during his absence, and never had he shown the goodness of his heart and the excellence of his judgment more than in the delegation of his power and authority over so numerous a train of vassals and dependents to this his bosom friend sir philip de morney was a bold and hardy veteran he was grown gray in the service of his king and country brave in the field just merciful and benevolent in his dealings with all his fellow-creatures possessed of an abundant fortune he accepted this important trust to oblige his friend and promote the happiness of those to whom he knew he was attached fond of an active and useful life he wished not to sink into indolence or obscurity till the infirmities of age should render him incapable of taking his share in the busy scenes of that important period in which though the pernicious doctrine of equality did not influence the minds of the vulgar against their lawful sovereign or the rights of the subject the ambition of the nobility and the feuds and distraction of the contending parties produced scenes of misery equally distressing but happily not so extensive in their effects into bungay castle he removed with his whole family and there for some years found that happiness he had vainly sought in more enlivening scenes and there he tasted those serene and contented pleasures he had been unable to procure in the world though formed to make a brilliant figure on its great stage he had every endowment of the mind for the true enjoyment of domestic life, uniting with the most unshaken courage the gentlest philanthropy. He had married at the age of thirty-five a lady much younger than himself, by whom he had several children, and looked forward with the hope of being the parent of a more numerous offspring, while, like the patriarchs of old, he lived respected and revered in the bosom of his family ah little did he suspect the revolution ambition would one day make in his mind lady de morney was yet in the pride of life her beauty unfaded her spirits lively and her mind in its full vigour her person was lovely her disposition amiable sweetness modesty truth and fortitude were the inmates of her bosom and gave additional graces to the ease and elegance of her manners strictly exemplary in performing the important duties of wife and mother no complaints were heard where she presided 
no looks of discontent were seen on the countenance of her dependents time was neither abused nor found a burden her whole study and attention were employed to promote the happiness of her husband and to superintend the education of her children for the latter employment no one was more adequate than herself her own example serving more than precept to enforce the lessons of truth on the dulcet mind of youth her own gentleness made them happy while her conduct convinced them of the value and dignity of virtue she considered youth and innocence as the most valuable of earthly treasures and she was not more anxious to preserve the one in all its native purity than to teach them how to enjoy the other with cheerfulness and gratitude having stored their minds with virtuous precepts best calculated to chain the attention and which she hoped would lay the most solid foundation for securing their future happiness she lived with her children in habits of the most soothing and perfect friendship and very seldom was under the unpleasant necessity of assuming the stern authority of a dictatorial parent but as no character on earth can be found without having some of the weakness and frailty of erring morality annexed to it the author does not mean to present lady de morney to their view as being entirely faultless she was vain of her high birth being allied to nobility and so partial to her eldest son that she could scarcely suffer him to be out of her sight yet her partiality originated from a circumstance so interesting and affecting to all who knew it that though it might by some be considered a weakness it was by none but herself condemned as a fault when her son was in his infancy she was seized with a fever of so malignant a nature as deprived her for some weeks of her senses during this distressing period of her delirium and in the absence of her nurse she one day snatched the infant from the arms of a young woman his attendant and before any one was aware of her design ran out of the house and with almost incredible swiftness down a long gravel walk to the bottom of the garden and threw him into a lake by which it was bounded by the fortunate and timely assistance of an old and faithful servant who was luckily at work near the spot and who had hastened to it on seeing his lady so unexpectedly make her appearance the family were alarmed and the child providentially but with difficulty saved this incident of which she was unguardedly informed made so forcible an impression on the mind of this susceptible and affectionate parent as she could not shake off it created an additional claim upon her heart for every tender indulgence and gave to every juvenile action and good quality redoubled value he had in a manner been raised from death rescued from a watery grave into which her own a mother's hand had hurled him and yet he loved her as her fond and plaintive partiality led her often to imagine better than the rest of her children she would sometimes embrace this darling son and with all the enthusiasm of maternal tenderness tremble at the horrid remembrance of having so nearly deprived him of an existence that added so much to the happiness of her own to all her children lady de morney was an indulgent parent but for edwin she felt that indescribable fondness which not only threw a veil over his failings but robbed her of that fortitude and energy with which she had acted on all other occasions so far from attempting to deny any request he made it was her study to prevent his wishes she would at times apologize to the rest of her children for the extreme affection nature had implanted and which she could not help cherishing for their brother but which she regretted as a weakness she was unable to conquer 
this conduct served to reconcile the young people to a partiality which originated from so singular and awful an incident and so far from showing either envy or regret it seemed to endear their mother's favourite to their youthful and guileless hearts another circumstance which equally helped to reconcile them was the sweetness of edwin's disposition who as often availed himself of his mother's indulgence to gratify and make them happy as he did to obtain any favours for himself in a situation from which thousands of her sex and age would have shrunk disgusted and affrighted lady de morney was cheerful and contented the rooms were gothic and gloomy but her husband and children enlivened every place they inhabited she was at times surrounded by and exposed to dangers but her beloved de morney and his faithful people were ever near to protect and guard her she was the wife of a noble soldier and she had acquired a fortitude almost equal to his from the knowledge of his unfailing courage which gained energy from danger and redoubled ardour from difficulty the castle itself could boast few internal beauties but her children whom she saw playful as youthful fawns and happy as health innocence and unbroken spirits could make them were treasures inexhaustible they beheld the rough implements of war without terror or dismay instructed by their father to consider them as the only ornaments fitted for a soldier the young de morneys were taught the use of arms as soon as they had learned to walk seldom were the gothic gates of the castle unbarred to admit the social friend or gay companion to the festive board seldom did the voice of mirth and jollity echo through the lofty rooms and vaulted passages but a sweet serenity supplied their place which having lost during the absence of her husband at an early period of her marriage lady de morney now felt the full value of possessing and though secluded from the gaudy pleasure of a court she felt herself a gainer by the exchange in the balance of happiness lady de morney had a sister who was placed by the lady gundreda as superior in the nunnery of bungay with her she spent many of her leisure hours between them the tenderest friendship strengthened the endearing ties in which they were united by nature the abbess was a pious but yet she was a young and interesting woman of a benevolent and placid disposition and though she had voluntarily secluded herself from the world she was not so much disgusted with its pleasures as she felt herself wounded by the severity of its disappointments early in life death had deprived her of a lover who had engaged her most animated and ardent affection and with whom she had indulged the fond hope of being united in the indissoluble bands of hymen but adverse fate had ordained it otherwise and those virtues and good qualities which had made him inexpressibly dear to her rendered his loss the more exquisitely painful with him the world lost all its power to charm and she resolutely determined to fly that world for ever and never to permit another lover to displace the sainted henry from her heart she therefore unreluctantly withdrew from the varying and busy scenes of life not to avoid temptation but to be able to indulge in the gloomy shades of a nunnery the memory of a man whose worth and constancy she deemed no sacrifice too great time served to convince her of the wisdom of her choice and giving way to all the luxury of a pure but romantic imagination she encouraged the consoling hope that if her regretted henry were permitted to know what was acting in this lower world his spirit would be gratified by the purity of her choice and his heart convinced of the unabating strength of her affection 
she often flattered herself that her henry was deputed to watch her conduct and would be the first to convey her to the bright regions of immortality yet though thus severely tried in the lessons of affliction she troubled no one with a repetition of her sorrows and though she often wept in all the bitterness of anguish her tears fell when no one observed them and only to the ear of her sympathizing sister did she venture to mention a name so dear and so beloved young edwin de morney whom we have already mentioned was at this period in his seventeenth year and notwithstanding the unbounded indulgence of his mother he had made a rapid proficiency in every part of his education nature had been equally liberal of her favors to his mind and person his temper was good his manners and conversation those of the gentleman and the scholar and with all the interesting gaiety and natural cheerfulness of youth he united a benevolent and susceptible heart his eldest sister roseline was only one year younger than himself her form was small but symmetry itself every limb so nicely turned it would have been chosen by a statuary for the model of a venus her face was beautiful in the extreme her eyes expressive and sparkling and the smile which showed itself was of that irresistible kind as caught the attention and won the heart and it would have been difficult for a connoisseur in beauty to point out which feature it was that had the greatest claim to admiration while the unfading and fascinating beauties of her polished mind which was stored with all the graces the best education could bestow or the most lively genius acquire rendered her conversation as delightful as her manners were captivating she played on the lute and warbled her artless song in strains so sweet as would have rivalled the daughters of italy her heart unwounded by the barbed thorn of affliction and free from the entanglements of love was like one of the first days of infant spring which enlivened by the bright rays of an unclouded and all-cheering sun serves not only to revive but to embellish the whole face of inanimate nature just bursting into life and rendering all its sweetly modest beauties of redoubled value to those who had lingered through a dreary winter in eager expectation of its approach lively as the birds which hovered round the turrets of the castle she entered gaily into all the youthful sports of her brothers and sisters to the little blooming edeliza she was particularly attached and though she saw her as beautiful as herself felt neither envy nor regret in the reflection no modish complaints filled her with imaginary terrors and as she had known no sorrows she thought it not only incumbent on her to show her gratitude to heaven and her parents but to soften by every benevolent attention in her power the miseries and misfortunes of others in those days the education of young women was completed at a more early period than in the present and if the manners were not altogether so highly finished or the mind so profusely decorated or rather fettered with innumerable and too too many useless accomplishments the time was undoubtedly more rationally employed and the fair sex less exposed to the allurements of flattery and the dangers of temptation though more retired in their habits and reserved in their manners they were neither less susceptible of the tender passions nor less fervent or sincere in their attachments roseline had formed an early friendship with a young lady educated in the bungay nunnery of which her aunt fortunately for the young people was the superior 
this sweet victim of ambition was designed by a proud and haughty father for the monastic life in order to enable him to provide more liberally for the rest of the children she had not yet however entered on the year of her novitiate but it was soon to commence and at its awful close she was to bid a final adieu to that world to which her heart had of late become too tenderly and anxiously attached as it approached time seemed to wing its flight with redoubled rapidity and she felt a trembling dread that her fortitude like a false friend would forsake her in the hour of trial and a trembling presentment that the moment which shut her from the society at the castle would exclude her from every prospect of happiness yet this repugnance to obey the will of her parents was new to her mind she dared not investigate the cause too nicely lest she should find a subject for self-condemnation she found with painful regret a troublesome guest was admitted to her bosom and she was afraid in attempting to become more intimately acquainted with its prevailing influence she should permit the stranger to gain greater ascendancy the youthful madeline on her first entrance into the nunnery had neither felt nor shown any discontent she had assumed the formal and unbecoming habit without a sigh and yielded to the rigid rules prescribed with uncomplaining resignation but as time crept on with solemn and leaden pace unrelieved by any of the innocent amusements of social life only to repeat and bring forward the same dull round of gloomy and mortifying scenes not only repugnant to the feelings of nature but disgusting to the senses she began to think and to complain to the bosom of friendship that those fetters put on by the rigid will of unfeeling parents to be finally closed by the iron laws of bigotry and superstition were unjust and galling and the free-born soul of innocence and virtue drooped and pined beneath the sacred walls by which it was enclosed how cruel to make religion a pretext for such persecution and misery and to counteract the designs of the creator who never formed his creatures for seclusion from that world in which he had profusely strewn so many blessings for the enjoyment of rational and social beings rosaline by the urgency of her entreaties frequently obtained leave of the abbess for madeline de glanville to visit at the castle this favour was the more readily granted from her having observed with real regret that some secret grief preyed on the mind of her young charge which though she could not help commiserating she did not choose to mention those days which the fair madeline spent at the castle were the happiest she had ever known while there she was gay and cheerful as the youthful companions who studied to amuse and entertain her the song the dance the lute drove from her remembrance the gloomy nunnery in which she was condemned to waste and linger out her future life sir philip and lady de morney treated her with the tenderness and indulgence of parents the friendship and affection between her and roseline was mutual and sincere for edwin she felt as she innocently supposed the fond regard of a sister all the younger branches of the de morney family rejoiced to see her and gladly assisted in rendering her happy and when the hour arrived for the unfortunate madeline to return to the nunnery whilst she observed with secret gratitude the gloom it threw on the countenances of her friends it gave additional pangs to the feelings of her own heart her spirits instantly deserted her and tears of unfeigned regret marked the sad moment of departure 
when she re-entered her solitary cell she would sink into a despondency which the austere rules of the order was not likely to conquer the inhabitants of the castle and its environs were in themselves a little commonwealth which contained a vast variety of characters men of different nations were met together and by the unaccountable effects of accident ambition or necessity brought into the same habits and lived cordially together serving one master and united by one cause and interest the utmost harmony prevailed among them for sir philip de morney was a just and active governor gentle as the lamb and forgiving as mercy to the virtuous or injured but a terror and a stern master to the traitor or oppressor whether friend or foe he knew the importance of his situation and how much the happiness of others depended on the careful and faithful discharge of those duties belonging to his high station and entrusted to him by his noble friend the earl of norfolk he therefore wisely and justly determined not to be biassed nor misled either by the partiality or designs of other men nor to suffer any prejudice to gain ascendancy over his mind in the rewards he bestowed or the punishments which guilt would sometimes compel him to inflict End of chapter 1 Recording by Patty Cunningham